Welcome to That's the Ticket, a travel podcast for people with itchy feet. My name is Renat and my name is Vanessa. This podcast is all about practical tips and meaningful conversations. We cover lots of topics, including but not limited to planning and social travel, getting the most out of your trips and communicating, travel tips and more. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining, joining us. us. All right, Renat, in this episode, we're continuing the story of Julianne Kopke after she plummeted 3,000 meters from mm-hmm. the sky into the Peruvian rainforest. That's right. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Renat. And I'm Vanessa. And if you didn't hear our last episode, we invited our special guests, Emily and Kelly, from the podcast Whining About Herstory to tell us about a woman with an intense travel story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we think you should go back and listen to part one of that story. It was so interesting. And we had so much fun with our guests. Yeah. Where did we leave off again, Vanessa? Okay. I'll give a small synopsis. But everyone who hasn't heard the last episode should really go back and find it for the full experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But here's what our guests told us. The plane Julianne Kopke was flying on, lands a flight 508 in 1971, broke apart in the sky during a thunder and lightning storm, and Julianne Mm -hmm. fell to the ground while still strapped into her chair. Yeah. (sighs) She lost her glasses, and she was only wearing a thin dress, but she managed to search around, and she found some candy that she could eat. Right. And she heard rescue plans above. And then suddenly, they stopped. (laughs) Yes. That's where we left off. That's right. So let's continue the story, shall we? Of course, yeah. At this point, Julianne began to think and realize she had Two choices. She could stay where she was and die, or she could try to get out of the jungle. Hmm. And like this is a this is the part of the movie. I imagine there's like suddenly some kind of like tough action music where she's like <laughs> there's a montage of her gearing up and like tying a bandana around yeah. her head and putting candies in her pockets, like, let's do this. Oh she's psyching herself I can up. Picture right? it. I can picture yeah. it. She began to walk and found a small creek. Now, thanks to her time living in the jungle, Julianne knew to follow water downstream in order to find civilization because all water will lead into a bigger stream to a river and And civilization pops up around water. Yep, Totally. (laughs) Makes sense. She also knew that it was safer to travel in the water rather than the trees, which were full of predators and venomous animals, a Uh la the dead leaf snakes. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. No, thank you. No, no thank you. Although, no. I'm pretty sure there's snakes that live in the water, too, just saying. There are, but... That's true. You know... But anacondas live in the trees, so, you know, they can, like, eat people They whole. can swim, too. Shh. Oh, God. Shh. <laughs> don't tell Julianne that. Yeah, don't tell her that. Um, <laughs> so, J- Julianne waded into the creek, which, over the days, began to widen and deepen into a river. She used a stick to test the riverbed before she would move forward. Her greatest oh fear was not the piranhas or the crocodiles, but rather stingrays. By using her stick, she hoped to flush out any stingrays before she stepped on them. I suppose with like piranhas and crocodiles, well, piranhas you might not hear, but like crocodiles, you might hear them coming. 
you know, and those you're going to die like instantly. Like, yeah. Whereas if you get stung by a stingray, I'm pretty sure that's slow and painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And piranhas, I mean, they have this really fearsome reputation, but their swarming behavior that's so associated with them, it's very uncommon. Well, it takes all of them. Like if you can counter one piranha, yeah, they might bite you and you might take some damage, but they're not going to... Unless you stand there, they're not going to kill you. Yeah. It takes an entire school of piranhas. And that huh. that idea first came up. So uh, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, he was kind of an adventurer, and he took a trip to the Amazon, and the locals were super excited about him coming. They're like, ooh, we're going to put on a show. So they had trapped this, like, <laughs> not flock, not swarm. What do you call a bunch school? of fish? Not a pod. A school. A school. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> I just said that word a minute ago. Oh, uh, so they they basically trapped the school of piranhas in the river and starved them. Oh, so they pissed them off. And then when Teddy oh Roosevelt rolled up, mm-hmm. they're like, "Hey, hey, starving piranhas! Here's a cow." Right. Like, and hey, so he sees this. them go totally crazy on this cow, and he writes back, "All piranhas swarm and like viciously <laughs> eat anything in their path." Wow. So it's his <laughs> fault. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Teddy, Come on now. honey, you <laughs> gave us teddy bears, but you also gave us vicious piranhas. No Come on. Yeah, <laughs> Water was easy to find as it rained furiously. This is, after all, the rainforest. But food was a problem. Even with rationing, the bag of candy she found could only last for so long. Though Julia knew what roots she could eat, she didn't have the tools to get to them. She also couldn't fish because she didn't have the tools. At one point, she saw small frogs, which she tried to catch and eat, but she was too slow. She later found out that these were poison dart frogs, so not catching them actually saved her life. That would have been a real bad. Because these are the kind of frogs they like secrete poison. Mm -hmm. And so like... Native tribes will coat their spears on yeah, the frogs, right. and so they kill people. It's, and it's not even like an internal poison. This is like their skin. Right. Yeah, they, yeah, their they skin secrete like an oil. Wow. Yeah. Um, so during the night, Julianne would sleep on the riverbank with her back to the water. The days were hot and humid, but the nights were frigid because she was traveling in water, and it was frequently raining. Julianne never really dried off, Ooh. so she was left to sleep on the cold, wet ground, shivering. Now, being a Minnesotan, like, I imagine when you're traveling around Christmas, you're wearing some pretty hearty clothes. It's very cold here, constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But remember, this is in Peru, and Julianne was only wearing a thin, like, little white mini dress, Mm -hmm. which offered little protection from the wet or cold. So she's practically wearing nothing. I'm sure, like, during the day, it was fine, because it's the rainforest, it's hot and gross, um, but yeah, at night that that had to be too. No okay. kidding. Yeah. Uh, um. So that amazing watch that she had, unfortunately, would go on to stop working. But she no. kept a close eye. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Dang yeah. it. She, she ha- had that. She one did, however. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That would. I mean, honestly, think about that. Like, yeah, you have that one thing that you can kind of count on, and then it dies, and you're just like, well, that's it. Now what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I feel like it wouldn't take a lot to like dim my spirits, and my watch 
breaking or not working anymore I think would break me yeah, yeah. I would just that would be the point where I would just lie down and be like I'm done yeah because <laughs> um, it, yeah it's like that thing that you've been uh relying on for so long and then even it dies you kind right. you kind of have control uh, you always know what time yeah, it is right. you know like okay the sun sets at this time right. I you you well, have it's, more it's awareness a comfort, too like it's you know it's something that you can like rely on and be like okay Right. There's something I know. I don't know where I am, right. but I know what yeah. time it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, she did, however, keep a close eye on the sun and tried to track the time and days as best she could. I would like to assume that with both of her parents being like scientists and growing up in the jungle, I I would assume they taught her like, you know, where the sun sets and rises right. and, you know, follow that. And, you know, totally. like the kind of basic, you know, like survival using the sun techniques <laughs> yeah and she was 17 at this time 17 yep, years wow. old she's just graduated from high school yeah. i mean i can imagine that this was some trauma that she had to work through for the rest of her life maybe yeah oh 100 percent and we we do touch on that a okay. little bit at the end yeah but like i, I almost feel like at this moment, she has a mission. She's like, I'm just going to keep following this river. And that had to be some kind of comfort, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I know what I'm doing. At least I'm doing something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When the river became deep enough to conserve energy, Julianne began floating on her back down the river feet first. Whoa. At one point, she spotted crocodiles on the riverbank. She watched as they slipped into the water. Oh. Dun, 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 dun. And this is where she gets eaten. End of story. Goodbye. Bye, <laughs> guys. Thanks for having us on. No, I'm <laughs> but wait, you said Instead she wrote of... an article in the BBC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wrote it as grave. she was floating. <laughs> they just found it later. Um, instead of freaking out, which I definitely would have done, 100%. I would have gotten my ass on right. that river real quick. Yeah. She remained calm because she knew the chances of a crocodile actually attacking her were slim, which I didn't know. Hmm. Until this. Hmm. Um, even more than that, by this point, she didn't care. She was just like, you know what? I'm either going to die uh -huh. here or I'm going to get rescued. Mm -hmm. And after so many days of walking, so many days of just being out in the jungle, she was ready to be done one way or the other. Yeah. She At this point, she didn't yeah. care. She was like, I can right. die. I can get rescued. I just want to be done. Do we know how many days she was in the jungle? We do. Do you say it in it's the end? Coming up. <laughs> I, it's I, coming I, up. I do. Let's keep it to the end. Okay. All right. <laughs> but like, have have you ever been like really sick? Like you get the flu. I I'm not trying to equate me getting the flu to her being stranded in the jungle and surviving this horrific plane crash. Right. But I've definitely been really sick where I'm just like, yeah, if someone came up and just blew me away, I wouldn't yeah. care because I'm just, I feel so awful. Yep. And I'm just like, that must be how she's yeah. feeling. Just really apathetic. This is the worst. I don't care yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. So the crocodiles did not actually bother her, which was great. <laughs> On the 10th day after the crash, Julianne saw a small motorboat on the shore. Oh. At first, she thought it was a hallucination until she actually had to go up and touch it. And she's like, this is real. Okay. <laughs> like, I right. can't trust my brain anymore. And you said this was day 10? Day yes. 10. Oh, my God. So it's been over a week. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. 10 days. She's been wow. surviving on rainwater and candy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Leading away from the boat was a path which had been made by people. 
This uphill path on any other day at any other time wouldn't have been a big deal for Julianne. But in her weakened state, it took her an entire day to climb the path. Her injuries were worsening and the pain was starting to set in. Mm -hmm. Remember that maggot infested cut that she had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was getting worse and beginning to throb. Julianne's pain and effort did pay off. There weren't any people at the top of the path, but there was a small hut. In the hut was a can of gasoline, which she doused herself in to help clean her wounds and kill those disgusting maggots. That's actually With really smart. She had seen her... Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah, she used gasoline. Oh. And she had actually learned this from her father because when they lived in the jungle, there was like a local dog who had a similar cut with maggots mm-hmm. and her father did the same thing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it... it- just the way kills maggots everything. like breathe, it makes it like they like su- the they suffocate essentially. Like, oh yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's gross. Maggots are gross. now for the grossest fact of this story. Oh, <laughs> her dousing that gasoline on herself allowed her to dig thirty maggots out of her oh, arms. God. Doctors would later remove fifty more. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny because maggots are. I don't know if they're still used, but. Recently, they've been used to treat wounds yeah, to eat, eat the, the dead, dead skin. skin. Right. It's so. But gross. when you've got an arm full of dead skin because you're severely injured, mm-hmm. it does not work uh, well. Yeah. yeah. It makes me think like how many of those maggots turned into flies or beetles or like whatever their evol- like their form was. You know, like because I don't some some are only like they only have like a five day cycle before they turn into flies so like part of me is like okay so she had 70 maggots in her arm but were there more? Oh god. And I th- I think these were maggots from bot flies. Oh. So I don't know what the gestation period on them are. Those are probably the two most common. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gross. So Julianne spent the night under the palm roof of the hut. And she awoke the next morning to the sound of men's voices. Hmm. Okay. She would say later, quote, it was like hearing the voices of angels. (laughs) So the men that came upon her were Peruvian loggers and the hut was part of a logging camp. At first, the men seemed to be in like this mix of awe and horror. They thought she was a water goddess, uh, (laughs) Yamanja. From local legend, who was the mix between a river dolphin and a blonde, white-skinned woman. Oh so they were God. like, oh, my God. And she's a very blonde, very white-skinned woman <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> who is soaking wet. The blonde girl of German descent wasn't that far off. Yeah. She also looked like absolute nightmare fuel imagine. because she was cut up, emaciated, and her eyes were bloodshot. Oh Whoa. Luckily... Julianne had learned Spanish from her parents and was able to tell them who she was and what had happened to her. They treated her wounds, gave her some food to eat before taking her downstream to a local hospital. But it was fruitcake that they had and she refused to eat it. Right. She was just like, she was like, oh God, PTSD over fruitcake. Uh, so being found by the loggers was a stroke of luck as the men didn't actually visit that camp very often, which is why it was just like a boat and a tiny little hut. Right. Like it was barely a blip on their radar. Right. After being brought to the hospital downstream, Julianne was reunited with her father. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> really. She said, quote, the day after my rescue, I saw my father. He could barely talk. And in the first moment, we just held each other. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not crying. Oh You're crying. <laughs> All the feelings. Julianne was able to give directions to the authorities so that they could find the rest of the crash site and recover the bodies of the victims, including her mother, Maria. Aww. Julianne was the... She was the only survivor, but she was not the only one who survived the crash. This part, like when we were doing the research, this part always messes me up. So decades later, Julianne learned that her mother had initially survived the crash, but was too badly injured to get out of her seat. She died several days after the crash. And Julianne recalled I dread to think what her last days were like. Mm. Oh, that's awful. Like, I, Julian's position is hell. Yeah. But what (laughs) happened to her mother is just, I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. No, moving on. (laughs) Right. Well, and like we said, it's still not 100% known how Julian even managed to survive. Like like we said, being hooked into a row of seats, so it was her and then a seat on either side of her, mm-hmm. and they think probably a combination of the seats spinning similar to a propeller, mm-hmm. the canopy, and the fact that there was also an updraft caused by the thunderstorm that was going on may have contributed to slowing her enough mm-hmm. that her impact mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as, you know, other uh-huh. people's. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In the end, it just seems like conditions were absolutely perfect for her survival not only of the fall but also to get out of the jungle like if anyone was gonna get out of there it was her no one else had she has this very special set of skills yeah this is like her liam neeson taken moment (laughs) yeah no kidding yeah word of julian's survival quickly spread and she began receiving letters from all over the world wishing her well Mm mm-hmm She said, it was so strange. Some of the letters were simply addressed, Julianne, Peru, but they still all found their way to me. Everyone knew who they were talking (laughs) about, right? And then the other other Julianne in Peru was very sad when she got no birthday cards that year. (laughs) Poor Julianne. I'm just compounding on the tragedy (laughs) unnecessarily. Uh She was dubbed the miracle girl. Wow. Fair. Yeah, yeah. It's a miracle, yeah. Wow. wow. It's like all the circumstances just had to be perfect for her right. to survive. Sorry, what were you going to exactly. say? Right. No, just right. That, that it is a really long time to be by yourself without knowing what will happen and how it will end up. And Yeah. Right? 11 days before she saw yeah. another another living person. I'm thinking about um, in one of our previous episodes, Renat, you told the story about how you went hiking and you got kind of lost and there was weather and I mean, it's not a plane crash, but I mean, yeah. I'm sure that was scary enough. Yeah, it was really scary, but it but was then, just a day. I mean, less than a day. Right. So. But then like being hurled from an airplane right. <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the wilderness, like I just can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, and how often are you in a situation where you don't know where you are you have no concept of where civilization might be you know Mm -hmm. you're completely alone you're completely disconnected from the outside world like in 1971 they didn't have cell phones but especially nowadays when when are you not talking to someone when is your phone not ringing yeah exactly yeah yeah. and like out of the skills that you mentioned that she had to get through this 
I knew maybe like one of those or two. Right. The thing about the river flowing towards civilization. Yep. Probably Mm -hmm. would have thought of that. Mm Yeah. And the way that the sun rises and sets. And that's about it. Right. Right. That would have been it for me, too. I would have never gone in the water. Like, I love yeah. the water, but I, I'm like, it's murky. There are snakes. No, there's I probably crocodiles. To, I probably would have walked along the bank, which probably is more dangerous. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's probably what I would have yeah. done. And also thinking about how my eyesight is so bad. Like, I think, I guess. That's I'm what here. I was thinking about. I was like, if I lost my glasses, I'd be fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. I had my glasses fall off recently. I don't remember what happened. Something like hit me or something and my glasses flew off. Oh, no. And I was like, and I couldn't see anything. I didn't know where they were. It was awful. And I was thinking to myself, if somebody like were to like attack me out of nowhere and my glasses were to fall off, I would be right. done. I think even today, if you fall in the middle of the jungle, even if you have your cellular phone on, you'll probably not have any reception. <laughs> so it not. could still happen today. That's a good and, point. And actually also in national parks in the US that I were in, there was also places with no, no reception. No reception yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Where my mom yeah. lives up in the mountains in Colorado. Sometimes there's oh, no reception. Sure. Right. So, so yeah. we, we have something to look for. <laughs> oh, geez. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good point. I went hiking up a mountain this summer and I, I play Pokemon Go and I was very disappointed because I was in such a place with poor reception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't tracking any of my steps. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so I'm just hiking up this gorgeous mountain for no reason. Yep. <laughs> not mm-hmm. to like look at the nature or like no, of course whatever. Not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not to look at Emily's the six just foot. There long turkey vultures there to catch that sweet sweet pokemon (laughs) yeah i want to hatch some eggs and get some candy totally i'm there with you i play that too (laughs) we should add each other (laughs) (laughs) okay after after the episode okay we'll be professional so our next section is called out of the jungle so after she regained strength enough to travel julianne moved back to germany to fully recover from her injuries naturally though she had to take another freaking plane. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> Julian followed in her parents' footsteps and went on to study biology at the University of uh, Kiel. Yep. K-I-E-L. Kiel. Okay. Usually not right on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sorry. graduated I'm... in 1980. Okay. Cool. Uh, and she would later receive her doctorate and return to Peru to study mammalogy specializing in bats. Like, and I... Thought Good that for was her, funny. She clearly, yeah. like, was got over her fear of planes at some yeah. point, yeah. or enough at least Probably, to yeah. survive, like mm-hmm. getting on a plane and getting somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to go back into the jungle too. Right? Yeah, you know. Right. Oh yeah. I also love that she studies a flying animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think oh. there's something to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's still alive. Still kicking it. She's still kicking it. She is 65 years old, and Dr. Julienne is a librarian at the Bavarian State Collection of Zoology in Munich, Germany. Cool. Cool, yeah. She wrote her autobiography, When I Fell from the Sky, which was published on March 10th of 2011 and won the Corrine Literature Prize. Because how Mm -hmm. could it not? Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to read that. Yeah. Right? Uh, in 2019, Peru awarded Julienne the Order of Merit for Distinguished Services. We're not sure if it was for her work in biology or uh-huh. for her incredible, <laughs> incredible badassery or, you know, both. It's probably yeah. for both. Yeah. 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 
Wow. So <laughs> this is kind of a cool note. So acclaimed filmmaker Werner Herzog was supposed to be on the Lance of Flight 508, but a last second change in plans actually kept him off of it. So he could have been in the seat next to Julianne. It was this twist of fate that drew him to Julianne and her story. He made a documentary called Wings of Hope about the crash in Julianne, in which he interviews her while retracing her steps back to the crash site. So, like, they get on a plane. She's talking about the flight. They go up the river. And, like, she hikes, hikes back to the crash oh. site that still has the debris oh, I'm sure, because they got the bodies out. out. Yeah, they're not going to spend 10 days lugging, you know, air shrapnel out of the jungle. <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> and while I'm sure it was also traumatizing, Julianne would go on to describe doing this with him as a kind of therapy. That makes sense. I actually really like that filmmaker. Um and so I'm really glad he didn't get on that plane. <laughs> yeah, right. He probably wouldn't have survived. <laughs> the Lance of uh, Flight 508 is considered one of the deadliest thunderstrikes in aeronautics history. The airline shut down shortly after. And I didn't get mm. super into it, but there were a bunch of claims about poor mechanics, shoddy, you know, just poor practices. Because well, I mean, obviously, the they blew they into a lightning yeah, storm. They should not have <laughs> flew Well, that. I mean, also, like, with lightning, the, like, the reason that you're okay in a car is really just because um, the car creates a cage around you. So if lightning hits it, right. it's going to go around you instead of going, well, like, into you. And then disperses you. out through the tires. Right. So, you know, I feel like that should have been the same for an airplane maybe or maybe the fact that it's not grounded is really the problem i don't know mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. and i yeah, maybe. what it sounds like is that it hit the engine and the engine just kind of oh stop up mm-hmm. <laughs> yep yeah that makes yeah. sense <laughs> um so julianne obviously still lives with the emotional burden of surviving this crash yes. and in a cnn article she that she was interviewed for they mention um that at the time uh there was a recent Air France crash off the coast of Brazil. And in response, Julianne said, quote, it just horrifies me. I only hope it all went quickly for those on board. Oh, mm-hmm. man. And like wow. anytime there's some kind of air disaster, she must be thinking what those people went through because she went through it herself. And I there's no way she doesn't still just live mm-hmm. with those mm-hmm. memories and that trauma. But yeah. overall, it sounds like she's coped very well yeah. and done really well for herself. Right. Like she clearly still travels because, you know, she went to Germany and then back to uh-huh. Peru and then yeah. now lives in Germany again. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, sorry for telling a, you know, a story of a plane crash on a travel <laughs> podcast. Well, yeah. But I, I thought you know it was what? interesting because it was, it was her worldliness. The fact that she had yeah. traveled and lived in the rainforest that allowed her to survive mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. out of there. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, like you opened your story with, uh, flying is statistically safer than driving. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's really mostly just because air travel is so controlled, right? You have air traffic controllers who are like, oh, right. that plane is there, so that plane can't go through that area, right? Like, it's very, very controlled, so. Mm-hmm. Well, and learning how to fly is a much more precise skill set yeah. than learning how to drive a car. Which, in the United States, you can start doing when you're 16. Yes. Well, and very too. put together I mean, as a person. theoretically, you don't even have to learn to drive a car to drive a car. Like, there are people that never get their license and still get behind the wheel. <laughs> no, That's no. not going to happen in a plane. True. That's very, very true. It's definitely more regulated, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Wow. Thank you for telling that amazing story. Yeah, thanks. It was super interesting. Super interesting. I I mean, a little sad for the rest of the people on the flight, but she's right. amazing that she used her knowledge and her skills and just like had that drive to keep going, even though in between she may have wanted to give up. Like, Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, she I, was I, her mental fortitude is what really gets me. Mm-hmm. Right, that's insane. Especially at seventeen years old. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. She's like, no, I have more to live for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> until like right before she got rescued, and then she was like, no, I, I lied. I don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, fair. I think we probably all could have gotten to that point. Right, and she she's lucky. She she didn't need to be afraid of the jungle. Yeah, that's a right? big part for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, listeners, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to you, Emily and Kelly, for joining us and telling us the story of Julianne Kopke? Kopka. Kopka? Kopka. (laughs) Actually, I speak German. I should know how to pronounce this. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Emily and Kelly, where can people find you? So you can find us on any major podcast platform. You can find us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. And we have a website that's whiningaboutherstory.com that'll give you all of those links as well. And that's whining, W-I-N-I-N-G, like whining and dining. Got it. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. We'll definitely put that in our show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was an unbelievable story. I know. I sat there imagining myself in that situation, walking like that for 10 days with pain from injuries. I know. Without my glasses on and with the uncertainty of not knowing how will it end up. Like she probably thought, where will you get to? And if you're going to get somewhere at all... Like, that's too much. I don't know if I'd be able to deal with it. I mean, Julianne is so amazing and brave. I know. I cannot imagine being in that situation. Well, actually, Mm -hmm. I can imagine being in that situation because I have an overactive imagination. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) But I really don't want to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, Julianne's story is an amazing story of survival. And I think it can actually teach us that we can be persistent and overcome the odds, you know? Yeah, so that's the story for today. Yeah. We are planning another episode where we'll tell the story of another amazing woman in travel to Emily and Kelly. Yes. But we'll probably take a short break in the next couple of weeks from that. Mm -hmm. Um, Vanessa, do we want to hint our listeners who is it going to be about? Hmm. I would just say... That she was a real pioneer in aviation mm-hmm. and had a really progressive way of thinking for her time. Right. <laughs> Even for today, I'd say. Absolutely. And our listeners might be able to guess who she is. <laughs> I hope so. She's pretty famous. Yes. But either way, you will want to listen to the episode because if you know who she is, you might learn something new about her like we did. And if you don't know who she is, you will learn a lot of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the plan for a few episodes from now. But in the meantime, you can find us at That's the Ticket Pod on Facebook and Instagram and Ticket Pod on Twitter. 
And thank you to everyone who wrote a review for us on the podcast platform. Yes. Here is a review I really enjoyed reading on iTunes from a smiley Manda. Awesome. Yeah, actually, that's the title of the review. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. And then she, uh, she or he writes, great podcast with fun conversations and information about travel. I love the guests they have on and the quality is great. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you so much, a smiley Manda. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that review was from the Canadian iTunes. Yes. So listeners, please write us a review. It really makes our day and it helps more people find the show. Uh, and you can also write to us directly if you'd like at that's the ticket pod at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts, give us ideas for topics, or, you know, just say hi and that you're listening. <laughs> we are on all podcast apps, including iTunes and Spotify. Mm -hmm. Just look for That's the Ticket. Yeah. Or go to that's the ticket pod.com. Awesome. That's it for today. See you soon. Or hear us soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. That was a dad joke, right? <laughs> yes, actually, that was a very good example of a dad joke. Right. <laughs>